Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. The premier baseball show in Chicago. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. Mervis loops one down the left field line. That's going to be a base hit. Rounding third, heading home and scoring is Bellinger. Run scoring single by... Matt Mervis, listen to this crowd. The lead at second by Madrigal, the 3 2 to Amaya. A bouncer over the mound, charging, tough play. No play. It goes into center field. Another run will score. The middle infielders, Birdie and Edwards, both converged. Edwards tried for it, it went under his glove, and then the ball got past Birdie. It's a base hit, first big league hit for Miguel Amaya. First big league, I was going to say first big league RBI, but he drove in one the other day in D.C. But that's his first major league hit, and the Cubs lead 4-2. to two. Couple of outrageous, sunny, beautiful days over at Wrigley Field. Certainly the highlight of the baseball weekend so far here in Chicago. It is Matt Spiegler with you on 670 The Score on Hit and Run. We have talked plenty about Eloy Jimenez and the appendicitis and the fact that he's going to be out four to six weeks for the White Sox, and we will get to that a little bit later on. Eno Saris from The Athletic will join us in one hour uh, but excited now to talk to Cole Wright from the Marquee Sports Network, who joins us right now on the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Hello, Cole. How are you this morning, sir? I'm doing well, Speaks. How are you doing, brother? You know, I, I feel like I'm at, at confession. I, I can I, I see a box that says score studios, but I don't see you. Uh, I feel like we're talking through a partition here. We we are together in spirit, Cole, and we sound okay. like we are together for the masses, which is, oh, look, I went masses. You got me all thinking Catholic Church. So How about that? We're, How about that? <laughs> Eating filet fish on a Friday, Speaks. How about that? As, as, uh, as Mel Allen gets a mention as well. Cole, why are the vibes so good over there right now? Why are the vibes so good with this team? It's outrageous this moment. I was there on Friday and could feel it in the yep. stands. No, Speaks, I mean, I think you and I are always on the same page. When you when you talk about the vibe that's going on, I think it's it's really attached to the Cubs' ability to get runners on base and push them across, playing not necessarily small ball, but a chaotic brand of offensive baseball. When you get guys on base and, and you can drive them across, I know a few games ago that, that wasn't the case, but more times than not this season, we've seen the squad be productive. You're taking that extra base, turning that base knock into a double, turning a double into a triple, and you know stealing bases. That's 
you know, you and I, we've talked about it before, how, how much we love just fundamental sound baseball, get, getting back to basics. And that's one of the things that this team does really well, especially when they stay within themselves, when, when those swings are a little bit shorter, not as long, not trying to hit the ball out of the ballpark. And, you know, I, I always feel like home runs, they're a byproduct of a good swing and, and good swings end up creating good hits. And I, I think that's, that's where this team is at right now with, with the way that Wrigley Field is, especially when they're playing well for a lot of these new guys, I think that just adds a little extra juice for them. And that's what we're seeing. I mean, when you have Cody Bellinger, you know, a former MVP, you know, legging out a number right back to the pitcher, that's, that's pretty special. That was a rally starter. Yeah. You know, you definitely have that. You have everybody playing like that. And the way you're talking about hitting is right. And goodness knows you get to sit next to Carlos Pena, talk hitting, sit next to Dexter Fowler, Cliff Floyd, yep. and, and learn some stuff. And you were obviously a hitter yourself uh, back in, uh, in high school and college days. But don't you feel like you're seeing that with both wisdom who is just trying to get good swings on the ball and when he does connect he's powerful enough that that thing flies and with Mervis too like I feel it's so good to see especially the one on Friday when he stays in against the lefty and gets that 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 RBI single for the insurance run when everybody's billing him as a slugger and all hit is homers but that dude is a pretty complete hitter at the plate yeah yeah, and that's one thing like Cliff and I, we talk about because we were down in, in Mesa and we did a, a, an instructional uh, little demo with Matt Mervis. And, you know, he, he always said that he, he'll give you that inside part of the play. He doesn't want that. I feel like he's a very disciplined hitter. You know, his pitch recognition is is pretty next level. And, you know, we saw that him taking that the ball opposite way yesterday. And I feel like when, when guys can really hone in and know the pitches that, that they want to attack, that's half the battle. And if, especially for young hitters, you know, w- when you have guys go up there trying to swing out of their shoes. And I feel like when you're leading the league in home runs, as Patrick Wisdom was, you know, at last look, you know, sitting there with, with a whole boatload of them, you, that, that's one thing you need to stay within yourself because all those home runs came from solid, short, compact swings, not getting too far outside of your, your normal swing and your normal self and just putting that ball in play. And when you put the ball in play, when you're strong and, and as big as Patrick Wisdom is, you know, good things will happen. And I think he's going to come right back around. I think once that swing quiets down just a little bit more like like it was two weeks ago, he'll be right back to the Patrick Wisdom that we saw two weeks ago. Well, that's interesting. So Patrick Wisdom out of the lineup today um, going against Sandy Alcantara, the Cy Young winner, who actually is a worse ERA than Hayden Wesneski. Not off to a great start is Sandy Alcantara. It's Nico, then Dansby Swanson, Ian Happ, Bellinger, Hosmer, Velasquez, in right field, there's Mervis in the lineup again, three days in a row. You love to yep. see it. Nick Madrigal at third base after the Nick Madrigal game yesterday. And Miguel Amaya at catcher. I know, we'll see, when Jan Gomes comes back, I don't know that there's room for the third catcher and Miguel Amaya anymore, but boy, he's making the most of his moment. For anybody who didn't hear it, it really is the moment of the weekend, even on Matt Mervis weekend with the Merverts out there. You like Merverts or Merv men? I don't know. What do you think? I like well, I like Mervites. I think Mervites <laughs> okay. is a little... Yeah, I like that one. All right, Mer- I mean, how, how do you feel? I mean, Merverts is a little. I mean, you know, it's a. It's I, I don't a little know if kinky. I'm taking that one into a broadcast <laughs> anytime soon, but it's it's all right though. Okay, it's not good. Bad. I mean, it's it's good for our guys that over at Obvious Shirts. I mean, they're selling uh, like hotcakes over there, dude. I, I, when I was there on Friday, I saw like six dudes wearing number twenty-two jerseys. I'm like, the Merv men have arrived. Then they were all on the field with them after the game, uh, enjoying it. But yeah, the moment of the weekend was this: Miguel Amaya. Um, this is Miguel Amaya uh, after the game. Miguel Amaya after the game with Taylor McGregor um, being asked about the vibe there at Wrigley Field and the song that was being sung. 
Go Cubs, go! Go Cubs, go! Hey Chicago, what do you say? The Cubs are gonna win today. I had to give you that moment. How awesome is this? It, it is amazing. It is insane, you know, living the dreams here, having these amazing fans here in Chicago at Wrigley Field. This is electric. What does the infusion of young energy like that do for a ball club? Oh, I would I would like to think it does a ton. I mean, you see <laughs> that there's a, a great combination of of young guys, of I, I like to say middle-aged guys, but baseball middle-aged guys, you know, getting towards 30 and then a few that are, you know, north of 30. So I think some of those older guys, like, you know, like a, like a Jan Gomes looks at a player like Miguel Amaya and, and it, he's reminded why he loves to go out there and play the game every single day. You know, that, that youthful zest that you see with a guy like Miguel Amaya with his parents in the stands. And, you know, you, you only get that, that, that one chance to get that first hit and, and to get that and, and to be an impact in, in a win and make it two in a row in front of those fans at Wrigley field. I mean, mm -hmm. he deserved to be able to sing that song and he went out there and like he said, like, I'm not much of a singer, but to be able to sing that song is everything. I think you could really see it. Like every time he smiles, it's like just when, like when Matt Mervis got his first hit. I swear you could see the dude's molars. I mean, the <laughs> smile was all across his face. So you know, it's good to see that. And I mean, I don't know for 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 you, Speaks, but it it reminds you of, of when you used to be able to do things when you were younger and when you were, were to check off those milestones. Not to say you were either either had an, an MLB debut type milestone, but you you remember when you did certain things and you were like. That's pretty cool. And I think that for, for Miguel Amaya is definitely one of them. Uh, Steve, well, that's interesting. Well, let's follow up on that. Cole Wright with us from the Marquee Sports Network here on Hit and Run with me, Matt Spiegel. Um, so your playing days, high school at a very high level, all-star game with Jason Wirth. I remember I've talked about this with you before, right? Um, state, we lost the state championship, but don't worry oh, about it. It's okay. cool, Speed. Right. You can my, bring it up. Don't my... worry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He lost the state championship to Jason yep. Worth, whatever. Um, and you played in college too, right? Yep. All right, yes, so, I did. So does it come to your mind in the work that you do? You just gave us one, uh, one moment right there. Like as you're doing the – as you're doing pre-post, as you're watching the games, as you're talking to players, is, is, is your playing career a part of the sensibilities? I mean, I think it, it, it allows me to see it through a different scope. I, you know, I, I feel like, you know, having played and, you know, and I, and I at one point I thought that was going to be what, what I was going to do, but yeah. ultimately it, it wasn't. But I, I just feel like it, it gives me, and not to say I have a better understanding or, or a lesser understanding than anybody else, but I just feel like in-game scenarios, like, okay, wh why, why is this going to happen? Or what, what can, what can this lead to? Or I, I even think like when, you know, when, when I'm over there and I'm, I'm, I'm talking with players and after a loss, you know, I'd be in locker rooms in, in the past or, you know, or clubhouses, whatever it may be. I understand what it's like to, you know, to get smacked, you know, to have a loss. And I'm not going to go in there and ask them like, well, what happened? Well, you know what happened? We lost. Or you know what happened? He made it, he misplayed that ball. Or because that's not what they want to hear. You know, they don't want to hear that in, in, in that package. So I think, you know, at, at least from my perspective, it gave me a, a more firm grasp on, on how to go about certain things. Sure. You know, how would I, how would I want to hear things after a loss? And when I tell a dude like, Hey man, what, can you even throw? Get out of my face. Like, I wouldn't want to hear that from somebody. So I always thought like, not, not handling certain guys with, with kid gloves, so to say, but I think, you know, how to approach a, a one player as opposed to another. Like when, when I worked in, in LA, like you could go and ask Cody Bellinger or Rich Hill, anything. If Clayton Kershaw didn't pitch well, you might not want to ask him like what went wrong. Cause I've seen guys ask him what went wrong. And then it's, uh, they almost shut down the entire interview process. Hmm. It's interesting. No, that makes all the sense in the world. Which analyst gives you the best stuff off the air? 
When you're sitting there with it's, <laughs> it's Cliff, it's Girardi, uh, it's it's best it's, as far as what like baseball knowledge, stories, laughs. I mean, I mean, you can put every one of those guys in in a, in a different category. All right, they, well, go they ahead. Bring so much to the table. All right, well, go ahead. So, so baseball knowledge. I mean, how do you beat Girardi, who's been a catcher and a manager at a high yeah. level? Right? And, I mean, and and I mean, he's he's the elder statesman of the analysts, and yes. you know, there's there's no disrespect there. It's just what it is. And I think with 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 that that with the 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 knowledge of the game and and being how many years he's been in the game, uh-huh. it's acquired knowledge. He's been around longer than everybody else, and, and he's a catcher, and he was a skipper. So of course he's going to know more about the subtle nuances of the game than anybody else. But that doesn't discount what anyone else knows. Obviously, got you. And then uh, stories. Who gives you the best stories? I tell you what, Carlos Pena's got some good stories oh, about uh, one time when he was in Detroit with, with a, a, a banjo. When when you see when getting smashed, when next time you see Carlos Pena, ask him about a, a banjo getting destroyed in the in the clubhouse in in Detroit. I I will ask him. I will ask him. I had I've interviewed Carlos Pena a couple times on this show. Talked to him a couple times off the air. Yep. And one thing I always remember is. He talked about moving from the Dominican to suburban Massachusetts when he yeah. was when he was a, a kid. I think he was in junior high or, or middle school, and he discovered peanut butter and jelly. It just it just <laughs> it changed his life. Cole, nice. bring that up to him next time because like because we think we're so used to it, but think about it. That man, like the the saltiness of the peanut butter and the jelly and the bread. He's like, oh my god, opened worlds to Carlos it, Pena. It's it's like people who first discover. Uh, Cookie butter. Have you had cookie butter before? Steve? No, I have not had cookie butter. Come on. What? I, I'm scared. What? Talk to me. Tell me. But I'm frightened because I'm large. Well, I mean, there's there's different brands. I mean, you could get the the Biscoff cookie butter, which is like the cookies oh. that they, they give you on a plane. Oh, the American like Airlines cookies. For, yes, peanut butter form. Oh. But it's cookie butter. Or you can go to Trader Joe's and they have the crunchy cookie butter or regular cookie butter. I'm not trying to give all these different brands publicity, but apparently we just did. <laughs> but if, if you if you want to try cookie butter, or even in the checkout line at good old Jules, they have the, the Biscoff <laughs> with like the sticks instead of the, the Cheez-Its. Oh, yeah. They have cookie butter and you can dip. Yeah, I mean, what I is- feel like... I feel like introducing people this, every time I say, like, you never had cookie butter? This oh, is, try this. This is maddening. I used to never miss a snack trend. I'm, I'm like I'm like Curtis Mayfield. I'm the pusher over here. <laughs> I'm your mama. I'm your daddy. I'm that. I can't say exactly. that line. <laughs> Neither can the Oakland A's broadcasters, for that, for that matter. He's out of there. Uh, well, I don't know. You know, it's it for, we're referencing, it was Glenn Kuyper who said the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum, but he obviously didn't say that first word. He said the, the horrific... Um, um, slur. Yeah, it's a word salad there for him. Uh, yeah, I, great. yeah. The the apology was really bad, and I think the apology made it a lot worse since it just came up. But I don't know if you saw the great Bob Kendrick, who is the president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. He he tweeted a statement, Cole, where he said, "I'm aware of the unfortunate slur made by Glenn Kuyper. I welcomed Glenn to the NLBM yesterday, and know he was genuinely excited to be here. The word is painful and has no place in our society. And while I don't pretend to know Glenn's heart, I do know that my heart is one of forgiveness. I hope all of you will find it in yourselves to do the same exclamation point. That is a powerful statement from the great Bob Kendrick right there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Bob, you know, in our in our small interactions, you know, via Twitter and everything, you know, seems to be a, a fantastic guy. And I mean, if and he's he's a lot you know, he's, he's got a lot more experience in the game than I do. So, mm. you know, if, if, hearing what I heard, you know, on, you know, him sitting next to Dallas Braden, uh, you know, Kuiper rather, you know, on, on the broadcast, it, I, I don't know. I don't know him. I, I've never even, I, I can honestly say I've never even listened to a specific Oakland athletics broadcast, yeah. you know, via their side. 
So I, I'm not very familiar with this cat. I, it didn't sound like it was with malicious intent. However, like a lot of people said, it's like muscle memory. Yes. I mean, why does it like that kind of came out a little easier than it, than it should have. But I understand like they, I, I saw clips from him in the past where you, you hear him making comments on it and, and speaking glowingly of it. But it's almost like it, that it's said too quickly and it, and it doesn't sound the right way. Like I said, I don't know if it's if that's. You know, th- things come out in certain ways. Like yeah. someone said, you know, uh, it, 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 if it's in the well, it'll come up in the bucket. So. <laughs> oh, I, I, I like I like that phrase. That makes it makes a lot of sense. Who knows? It's hard to know a man's heart. Um, exactly. But uh, uh, it's scary stuff when you're on the air like you are, like I am. Uh, open mouth, say things. Who knows? Like sometimes. There's a lot. There's a lot that goes on. We got to be on point and thinking about it and being in charge of it all the time. You live a. You live seemingly a very healthy and active life over there by the uh, by the by the Marquee Studios. Um, can I tell people about the scooter, or can you tell people go, about the scooter? Go ahead, man. Oh man. I mean, I, I try to. I try to keep it. Keep it. I mean, I, that's. It's almost like the the opposite of an active lifestyle. <laughs> I, I take a scooter from the parking lot that's like two and a half blocks away to the studio, like. <laughs> But but it became a, a thing of, of time consumption, yeah. like because at night when you get in, like say there's there's late games, say a West Coast game, yeah. eight forty start. I get out at twelve forty five. I walked to my I've walked to my car before, and I didn't have my keys. I left them on my desk. Uh-huh. By the time I walk back, that's seven minutes back. Seven that's fifteen minutes. Like if I could be home fifteen minutes earlier on a night yeah. game to a turnaround day game, and then one day Sean Marshall comes in in a regular scooter, and I'm like I have an electric scooter in my garage that my daughter never rides so i started using that one and when that one you know the battery kind of wore down i upgraded oh see there you go see that's so cole will park in uh, in the lot and then use the scooter to get back and forth to the studio and it is it is strong i, I just remember thinking man this man has it figured out he has got life <laughs> dialed in he's very efficient getting where he needs to be and it's not marshall's got the regular scooter george mccaskey the bears owner has been seen on the razor scooter just like you know using his foot to fred flintstone his yeah, way along come on no, elevate that, yourself that's passe man you gotta have, go with the electric scooter you gotta <laughs> i mean that's the especially when it's hot out like yeah. you don't want to Think about when, when you pull up in, in a day when it's 95 degrees and even a five minute walk, you'd be sweating, sweating <laughs> like, like Bobby Brown in court. <laughs> <laughs> Got or it. if it's raining, you yeah. don't want to be wet. I don't have any hair. Then my hat's wet and yeah. soaked. And not, it's, no. it's not great. Can't do it. Can't do it. And you got, you got to keep that, that that face pristine for, for television work. Cole Wright, thank you, man. Love talking hey, to you. Anytime, brother. All right. We'll talk to you Without. soon. That's Cole Wright from the Marquee Sports Network. Their uh, coverage for the game uh, begins at noon. Uh, meanwhile, I'm here up until 1245, and uh, I'll have some bonus hit and run for you, and I'm looking forward to that. I mentioned something last hour about a player off to a terrific start who got to meet his hero in MLB. We will talk about that, but it's time to address a very awkward situation for a very familiar team. It's the one-time organizational standard in all of MLB, it's the intra-division rival, and they look terrible right now for a couple of reasons. We'll discuss it next on 670 The Score. It's Hit and Run with me, Matt Spiegel, on The Score. The premier baseball show in Chicago, Hit and Run with Matt Spiegel. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is, uh, this for me, I like this better. It's a it's better organization. Uh, we all, like, almost like all, old school 
old school way, which I love it. Um, and that's something that I really like it. I was I already talked to uh, the manager about it, like how was the culture here, and everything since I got here has been everything just one way, the cardinal way, and I have to adjust it. So uh, it's, it's not it's not it's not it's not that hard. I mean, do everything right and respect each other. That's it. That is Wilson Contreras from spring training talking about life as a St. Louis Cardinal. And some of the quotes that came out of that session have been thrown back out over social media quite a bit. He called the Cardinals um, the better organization or was it the smarter organization. Anyway, it was it's just a new guy for a new team who signed for $87.5 million. Um, the intradivision rival, having left the Cubs and gone to the Cardinals, trying to say nice things about his team. And we have seen this kind of thing before. By the way, you're listening to Hit and Run with me, Matt Spiegel, on 670 The Score. Eno Saris from The Athletic at the top of the hour. We're here until 1245 for Cubs and Marlins, the finale. That's when pregame will come your way. So we've heard it from others, whether it was uh, Ryan Terrio who said, oh, it's good now to be on the right side of the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry, things like that. So ha, ha, ha. But here's the problem. Things have not gone well for Wilson Contreras down there in St. Louis, and it's not all his fault. Things have not gone well for the Cardinals. They're off to a horrific start. They are 10 and 24, folks, are the St. Louis Cardinals. They have the same exact record as the Chicago White Sox. I know they did as of the other day. The White Sox are 11 and 23. The Cardinals actually are worse than the White Sox. They're 10 and 24. And it has been absolutely awful. Here's what's gone on. The starting rotation has a 5.39 ERA, the seventh worst in baseball. Um, only Jordan Montgomery has an ERA lower than four. Hitters are hitting 290 against St. Louis starters. Only the Reds and the Oakland A's have allowed worse marks. The Cardinals rotation as the third worst whip in the major leagues at 1.550. And all the starters have struggled. When it comes to putting away batters with two strikes, the Cardinals have allowed 20 home runs on two strike counts. And this is all despite being one of baseball's best teams when it comes to getting ahead in the count. This from Katie Wu at the athletic. Now, some of that is informed by what has widely been discussed. This really weird methodology that apparently the Cardinals have spent the last few years teaching all the way through the minors where they're, they're telling their guys telling their developmental guys that they want the at-bats to be over as quickly as possible, and they're telling them to pitch to contact, telling them to avoid trying to use swing-and-miss stuff, even if they have some swing-and-miss stuff. And I'll get into this more with Eno Saris and the Athletic at the top of the hour because some of it's a little complicated. But the point is, there is an organizational failure going on with the Cardinals right now. And if you're a Cub fan and you want to savor that for a moment, just kind of wallow around in it, kind of swim in it. I can say it again a little slower. There's an organizational failure for the Cardinals right now, having to do with their pitching infrastructure, the way they teach, the way they develop, and the way they execute on the big league level. Remember all those decades when the Cardinals were ahead of the Cubs as the standard, the organizational standard? It's why when the Cubs beat them in the 2015 playoffs, it felt as big as it did. Because like, oh, under under Theo and Jed, it might be it might be rising up above the 
the Cardinals. Might be beating Whitey Herzog here. Might be beating Red Shandienst. Might be beating George Kissel at this point. Let alone Tony Larusa and eventually Mike Matheny and all of that. No, right now the Cardinals seem to be behind. They know that they are behind organizationally. And it is manifested on the big league level an awful pitching staff. And, of course, they've decided now who to blame for that. And the Cardinals have decided to blame Wilson Contreras. Now, this is not a black and white issue that it's all of them just blaming Wilson. They're realizing some of Wilson's shortcomings as a defensive catcher that were incredibly obvious here for anyone paying attention to his final few years as a Cub. Seriously, if you were if you were paying attention, and it came up a lot because it was like, are they going to keep Wilson Contreras? No. And there's so much love for Wilson, and understandably so, justifiably so. What a wonderful, wonderful presence and energy and passion that man has always brought and how important that has been. Tons of big hits. Forever will remember his big hit, along with Javi's in the Giants series in 2016, as being like, oh, my God, look at this, the young passionate, explosive guys are the ones who kept their at-bats under control and got contact to make that comeback happen out in San Francisco, right? It's incredible stuff. But towards the end, it was obvious that, that Wilson had some shortcomings as a defensive catcher, and they were difficult to put into words. And I tried because I was often asked on 670 The Score to do so. And it wasn't just pitch framing, which he got better at. It was kind of the soft factors of catching. Handling pitchers, um, making sure that the organization's imperatives were being followed as you call a ball game, as you work through a ball game. Remember, you Darvish liked to throw to Victor Caratini. That was one of the early indicators and said that Caratini was just more calm back there. Wilson used to have what I called the uh, unnecessary cat-like reflexes of Wilson Contreras. <laughs> it was like, oh, boy, look, he's quick. Doesn't need to be that quick. Simmer down. Simmer down. He got a hold of those and under control, but there was something in the handling. I remember I, 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 last couple of years occasionally playing quotes from Kyle Hendricks when he would get to throw to Jan Gomes. Last year when Hendricks threw to Jan Gomes, Hendricks would say, oh, oh, my God. You know, it was just, it was in the praise you heard the counter. And then Jed Hoyer when given a chance to talk about Wilson after the, uh, the trade deadline came and Wilson was not dealt, everybody thought he was going to be dealt, but then he wasn't, and Jed Hoyer was given a chance to change his mind. Sean, you remember that? Tanny plays the one-word answer all the time. Of uh, Would you like, uh, do you feel any differently now about Wilson's abilities as a catcher or your desire to keep him that, uh, than you did before the deadline? And Jed Hoyer just simply said, no. And so that no exists in the system forever. It's kind of a delightful no because it's thoughtful and he tries to be respectful, but it's just no. I'm not breaking news on the show. Yeah, no, he didn't. He didn't doesn't do that either. He's careful. But anyway, they tried to deal him. Uh, it was. It looked like he was going to go to Houston, and that was vetoed. And then the market, people were wondering whether it was there. And the Cardinals, of all teams, the Cardinals, coming off 
so many years of the great Yadier Molina, one of the most brilliant handlers of pitchers ever, one of the best guys ever with the soft factors of catching, making pitchers feel comfortable, getting the most out of them, communicating, leading, as well as a framer, just beautiful, incredible technique, remarkable to watch. Anyway, they go to Wilson, and then the numbers have been what they are. It's been an absolute disaster. The team is playing a horrific brand of baseball. They're getting booed like crazy, and their $87.5 million catcher is no longer a catcher. Here's John Moziliak uh, yesterday. This is the general manager of the St. Louis Cardinals talking about Wilson Contreras and what the issues really are for the pitching staff and the entire ball club. Well, obviously, if there was just one thing, we would go out and address it or fix it. But I think it's a combination of a lot of things. And, you know, clearly we're not where we want to be. We still believe there's a lot of talent in, the, in this uh, clubhouse. And, you know, I know Ollie and his staff are working tirelessly to try to find that right combination. But, you know, when you ask the question, what's going on, it's, it's, it's that classic when things aren't going right, it comes down to you're not getting those timely hits. Um, when you do get good pitching, you're not hitting. When you do get uh, uh, when the when the pitching isn't there, all of a sudden you're hitting, and it's just that's just a bad combination. And uh, you know we know there's some things we've got to address. We got to clean some things up. But I assure you, we're working hard to do it. So that's Moziliak on the general issues for the Cardinals, and he doesn't even mention Contreras there, which gives you a window as to what a lot of Cardinals beat writers are saying now: the scapegoating of Wilson Contreras. That's the other side. So you've got some of the issues that they didn't realize were apparent with Wilson that I was discussing that the Cubs knew, and you have some scapegoating that goes on. Um, there's a broader point to make here, but first, listen to the manager, Ali Marmol, yesterday with a common denominator for the Cardinals' struggles. Do you think there's any common denominator for why leads have been slippery? A uh, common denominator? No. But we haven't been able to hold on to one. And... Uh, we have to have the ability to throw up zeros after the sixth inning. Um, it's going to be important for us to do that. We've been playing a lot of close ball games, been playing better baseball. Um, it, it's tough to say that because you're continuing to lose with eight in a row, but the style of play looks a lot better, and uh, we're going to have to be able to keep a lead and throw up zeros in the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Some of that to not just those innings, but get a lead, hold it, and a lot of call and response. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the shutdown inning, uh, to your point, is equally as important. Um, we have to be able to do all of that. So, Ali Marmol there on the Cardinals' struggles. Here's the headline. The Cardinals have decided that Wilson Contreras will no longer be their catcher. They said it out loud yesterday before the game. They said he's going to do mostly DHing and some corner outfield work. Played a little bit of corner outfield for the Cubs, a little bit of first base. But they've got Paul Goldschmidt there. Moving their $87.5 million catcher is a disaster for them positionally. And what it does to their depth, moving him to DH, means Nolan Gorman, who's one of their hitters, has to play more second, which means maybe Paul DeYoung or somebody else has to sit. Playing him in the outfield, they got all kinds of issues. So they're in a, a disastrous moment, and a lot of Cub fans are loving it. It's delicious schadenfreude for a lot of Cubs fans. But I think the broader point is this. As much as you loved Wilson Contreras and as much as you might miss him emotionally, the Cubs knew what they were doing. And that is being validated by the Cardinals' disaster 
by Jan Gomes and Tucker Barnhart, and even now Miguel Amaya being what they are, by the pitching being so good, by the team chemistry being so good, by the catchers being an extension of pitching infrastructure, which is what the modern catcher defensively really is. It's very rare to have an offense-first catcher that stays there. Mike Piazza would not have been a catcher for long in modern baseball. And Wilson Contreras is being moved off of it for a reason. As I said, there's a mix of scapegoating that's going on in there for the Cardinals as they're in a terrible situation. And I have some texters who are feeling bad for Wilson. Here's one who got in via to the text line. And the text zone is brought to you by Rosen Hyundai of Algonquin. Save time. Shop online at RosenHyundai.com. I love Wilson Contreras, says the texter. It's both ironic and sad that the day Miguel Amaya gets his first hit with the Cubs is also the day that the Cardinals manager publicly abandoned Willie as a catcher and all but blamed him for the crappy pitching. The disrespect for Willie. If it wasn't for that, it was a good day for me yesterday as a Cubs fan. He didn't like the disrespect. I understand. And there's a truth that we can speak here that is not about disrespect. And the truth is that the modern catcher has to be an extension of the pitching infrastructure and the front office. It's just the way of the world. And the Cubs are in good hands short-term with Jan Gomes and Tucker Barnhart. And they're in good hands with a mindset that doesn't allow Wilson Contreras to be the long-term catcher with this team. It's being validated. Saw Buster only tweet. This validates the way the Cubs have thought about it. Others have have gotten in there. And it's just, it's a moment to realize that there's often more going on behind the scenes and more going on than we absolutely know. And our job as radio hosts and talk show hosts who are in the knowledge acquisition business is often to kind of decode what's been going on. So they are decoders. We are decoders for you. This texter, Speaks went to Bush Stadium on Thursday afternoon, watched the cards get trounced. My Lord, it was nice to hear the boos. Fans were saying, this is what being a Cubs fan is like. Not anymore. Not anymore. But now you have to chase the intradivision rival who still is an organizational standard, the Milwaukee Brewers. Seriously, look at the Brewers mix. I mean, good for the Pirates. Um, I, I'm very happy for the Pirates start. And good for them. I am, because I want more teams to be competitive. I, I, I loved that the Pirates re-signed Brian Reynolds. Show that you can um, behave like a major league team. But the Brewers are the one with those pitchers at the top, even though Woodruff has, has been hurt. Peralta is back. They lost their young center fielder, Garrett Mitchell, for the year, which is a bummer for them. But they've got other very good young players. And just the way that they do things, the way that they utilize a bullpen, Craig Council is the second longest tenured manager in the National League, third longest tenured manager in baseball. Terry Francona is one, Dave Roberts is two, and then it's Craig Council. But the Brewers are, uh, are the standard now, and that's the team you'll have to pass. But if you are a Cub fan who enjoys schadenfreude, whew, this, keep looking at those Cardinals stats, man. Keep delving. And if you're a Wilson Contreras fan, you could feel a little bad for him. But also, you can understand that the Cubs knew what they were doing when they made that move. At 670 to score, it's Matt Spiegel here with you on Hit and Run. The White Sox have made a roster move we will tell you about to uh, make uh, 
some kind of effort to replace the bat of Eloy Jimenez, who had an appendectomy last night and is going to miss four to six weeks. And maybe you are one of several who have Googled, how long does it take to get back from an appendectomy today? So we'll tell you about that. And a player off to a terrific start in MLB met his hero, who then Homer. Just a really nice story we'll get to in baseball next on Hit and Run here on 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. The premier baseball show in Chicago. Hit and run with Matt Spiegel. Line shot up into left center. Robert will easily score. Benintendi's got a double. And against his hometown team, he gives the Sox the lead. White Sox got an RBI double from Andrew Benintendi yesterday on their way to having a lead, which was then lost after uh, Mike Clevenger gave up a three-run bomb. And the White Sox lose and are now 11-23. and 23. The biggest news coming out of that, though, was that Eloy Jimenez had to go to the hospital with abdominal pain and ended up having an appendectomy. And all appendectomies are different. Sometimes if you find it early enough, it can be uh, done with lasers and you're able to resume regular activities before too long. Sometimes if it's real bad and maybe it burst, it's four weeks before you're allowed to do anything like in the gym or anything like that. The White Sox released a statement saying four to six weeks, Eloy Jimenez would be out. Oof. So as uh, we talk through in this two-team town, the baseball day here on Hit and Run on 670, the score with me, Matt Spiegel, I mentioned to you that the White Sox have recalled the catcher, Carlos Perez from Charlotte. Carlos Perez is up, and he and Sebi Zavala will be sharing the catching duties because Yasmani Grandal is probably going to be your full-time DH. When he plays, he will DH. And when he doesn't DH, I assume he will be on the bench as a pinch hitter available. Um, I don't – I mean, it's possible you could see him at first, but it's been a while since they've done that. But that's one thing they're going to do. So a very tough stretch for the White Sox continues, now losing Eloy for four to six weeks. And the bat to replace him is a third-string catcher. 
A lot of people wondering whether the White Sox season is over. In fact, Bob Nightingale in USA Today this morning wrote about the possibilities of the White Sox trading Lucas Giolito, who will be a free agent at the end of the year, saying flat out that the White Sox do not want to have Giolito back. They will not be bringing him back next season. So, ugly times for the White Sox. As we look all around MLB, I'm always on the lookout for the show, and you know this, folks. I'm always on the lookout for good, nice, warm stories. Good baseball stories. You know who's red hot? Right now, and I'll tell you why it matters in an extra way in a moment. But Masataka Yoshida, the former Japanese, well, I guess he's still Japanese, former Japanese league player who continues to be Japanese and play for the Red Sox in the big leagues, has been absolutely great of late. I think he's in the middle of a 14-game hitting streak. He has a 937 OPS and 108 at-bats with six homers and 24 RBIs. In fact, on a Friday night, he had an RBI single against the Philadelphia Phillies. And a base hit into right field. That's 15 in a row for Massa. 15 straight for Yoshida. Yeah, early in the year, that's the ball. He's just chopping right down into the ground. 4-3-3 unassisted. He has changed the way he gets to that pitch. Just awesome how he's pulling his hands in there and getting it in the air a little bit more. It's pretty cool to hear Kevin Euclid right there doing uh, some analysis of the Yoshida swing. So Yoshida's been absolutely great. Here's what I didn't know till the other day is that when he was in Japan, his nickname was Harper-san because he loves Bryce Harper. That's his guy. When he was in high school, Harper was only a year older but was already killing it in the big leagues. So that was his idol. That was his guy. Um, Harper knew it. When Yoshida was in the Japanese league, he got a Bryce Harper jersey sent to him by Bryce. He also got a Harper jersey for his dog, who is named Harper. Like, it's out of control. Masataka Yoshida is a Bryce Harper super fan and nerd. And it's a beautiful thing. Harper was told about this, obviously, over the last couple of years and knew it. And then here's Harper, who just came back, just came back incredibly off Tommy John surgery faster than any position player has ever come off Tommy John surgery. And Yoshida was quoted before the series as saying, I'm so excited to see him play in person to play against him because the Red Sox are in Philly to play against the Phillies. And he was impressed with how fast Harper came back. And then last night, Harper, in what, his third game back? I mean, because that night, when Yoshida had the single later that game, Harper makes his first at bat in Philly, gets a standing ovation. And Yoshida's there in the outfield watching this and seeing this for his idol. It's a really cool thing. And then last night, Harper did this. On a global stage, those two. Harper lifts one deep left center field. Right on cue. It's going. So Harper homers with Yoshida there in the outfield and Harper before the game knew that Yoshida was such a fan and said that it reminded of him of when he was a kid and loved Derek Jeter and Bernie Williams. Those were his guys. And before the game, Harper presented Yoshida with two bats and some cleats and it's 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 pretty cool. So he gave him a pair of signed green spikes and gave him two bats. 
One is the signed game-used bat from last year's NLCS that Harper gave him. Two, Masataka, MVP times two. Game-used NLCS bat. I think that's because Masataka was an MVP of the Japanese League. So, MVP to MVP. And it's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I love, especially in a year following the World Baseball Classic when we're all getting a sense for uh, just how global the game has become and how things are passed on. It's really, really cool. I saw a snippet earlier in the year of Jan Gomes, of the Cubs catcher Jan Gomes, talking about who his favorite players were. And his favorite players were Japanese players because Jan Gomes was growing up in Brazil and the only TV that he got was the Japanese League. So the Nippon Professional League, the Nippon Professional Baseball, NPB, is what he got. So he loved Ichiro Suzuki. He loved Hideo Nomo, the pitcher. So it's just... It's a really cool thing that's going on globally right now for baseball. It's having a moment, as I like to say, and the World Baseball Classic just kind of kicked things all into a good place. And when a team gets off to a hot start like uh, the Cubs have, it, it, fits, it fits even more that it starts to feel bigger than, than just you. Coming up later this afternoon, it's Sandy Alcantara against Hayden Wesneski. Pre-game starts at about 1245 right here on 670 The Score. Uh, for the White Sox later on this afternoon, it'll be Michael Kopech against Graham Ashcraft for the Reds. In a minute or so, we're going to talk to, I guess about five minutes or so, we'll talk to Eno Saris from The Athletic. Eno's one of my favorite guys to talk baseball with, loves the numbers, invented stuff plus, crunches the numbers, but talks to players, speaks player language from a scouting perspective, so really bridges the worlds, which is what the baseball analysis, the best of baseball analysis, has to do. If you're getting ready to watch some pregame, uh, you can do that as well. But stick with me right here until 1245 on Hit and Run. It's me, Matt Spiegel, on 670 The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 